Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. All right, I am super pumped today and also a little bit nervous. The perfectionist in me wants to say the right words, wants to do the right thing, wants to be the person who like the evolved version of me in the world. And so today we have Adrienne on the podcast. She hosts a show called Feminist Hot Dog, which we will, I'll let you introduce once we get started because I don't even know this backstory on that podcast. So I can't wait to hear what that even means, Feminist Hot Dog. Um, But when I sat down to write today for this podcast or last night, I was like, what is, what does this mean to me? Like, we're going to talk a little bit about reproductive, well, a lot of it about reproductive rights and reproductive justice. And these are big conversations. These are conversations that don't have one easy answer. They don't have a right. They don't have a wrong. It's like opening the doors and talking about concepts that are quite frankly, kind of new to us in, in society, in like social conversations um, and in the political world. So that being said, I'm going to read and then we're going to talk. <laughs> All right. So I had privilege. I had access. I had knowledge. I had support. And I still had such a hard time when faced with my abortion. I felt like a puppet on someone else's strings, flailing, flapping, floundering beneath the magnitude of what was unfolding. To take back the strings of my own puppet show, I had to decide that I wanted to be in control again. I wanted to do the work. I wanted to face all the feelings that were swirling inside me. I had to be the watcher of my own experience and learn how to untangle and manipulate each string in the show. I don't know what it's like to live in skin that's not white, to have been raised in a community that's not safe, to feel alone and afraid in the world. These are things I do not take for granted and differences that will always set me apart from an enormous population of women in the world. Privilege and resource are tools that give us more control in our lives. Being human is complicated, even when we feel like we have some control. And when we feel as if someone else holds the strings that direct our show, discouragement comes much easier. Rightly so. Self-victimization feels like a much easier path to take than self-confidence. It can look like helplessness, passivity, loss of control, pessimism, negative thinking, strong feelings of guilt, shame, self-blame, and depression. All things we see in women after abortion. Many people would say that privilege and resource give us more to work with, but I would argue that more importantly, they give us less to navigate through, fewer strings to untangle. With access in our hands, we have less to think about, less to balance, less to overcome. And this leaves us with a much clearer view of our destination. 
We can direct our own show when we can see where it's headed. We become the puppeteer and the puppet. The social and political climate surrounding reproductive health is messy. No matter which angle you look from, there's a lot to clean up, a lot to untangle. To do that work, we have to be willing to widen our perspective. And we also have to be willing to clean up our own strings before we direct an entire marionette performance. As leaders in the field, we have visions of what's possible, but our greatest strides in progress will come one woman at a time. One woman claiming privilege in her mind, seeking access to untangle her strings, acquiring knowledge to use and share, and finding support to do it all around people who believe in her. Those of us who are born with or have earned privilege in the world are space holders. We can set the stage for the show. And there you have it. Let's talk about reproductive health rights and justice. Let's Welcome, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for that beautiful essay. Yeah. So that's like when I sat down thinking about talking to you, it's just like what came to mind was this vision of like, all right, how do we untangle all this? Because <laughs> it is messy. It just yeah. really, really is. Um, so let's first talk about just so the listeners have a super brief introduction to who you are and what feminist hot dog means to you. Absolutely. Well, my name is Adrienne Vandervalk. I've been hosting Feminist Hot Dog for about a year and a half. It started in October of 2018. And I, I always preface this story by saying that I'm not someone who ha is my, my, life has not been marked by like big bursts of creativity or big projects like this. I just basically came out of the experience of listening to and watching the Brett Kavanaugh hearings mm. and hearing Christine Blasey Ford's testimony and had like a shift in me and felt so much kind of anger and despair and saw that in a lot of my friends also mm. who have been assaulted and who have, you know, kind of gone through similar types of experiences and hearing, you know, just feeling that their experiences were being invalidated. And, and this idea just sort of came into my mind. I was like, I have to feel, I want to feel good about being a woman. I want to feel good about being a feminist. I'm tired of just feeling bad all the time. And so <laughs> I, Feminist Hot Dog is a space that I've carved out to really explore joy and explore like the beautiful things about feminism and thinking about it not only in terms of you know what it's resisting but what it's moving toward and the things mm. that it celebrates and the things that it embraces and the things about being a woman or a non-binary or gender non-conforming or trans person that is that is exciting and powerful and creative and and really worth shedding some light on because i think if we only focus on resistance which is what I was doing, you can get worn down very, very quickly. So that was sort of the original impetus. Feminist Hot Dog was, um, was sort, of, sort of a humorous name that um, kind of popped into my head. And 
just sort of stuck. That's that's where I went with that. And um, there's a long story on my blog about where it actually came from that I'll let other people read. <laughs> quickly for it now. Yeah, totally. Quickly for people who want to jot it down. What is the website Feminist Hot Dog or is it, it your, yeah. FeministHotDog.com and I'm on all the social media as Feminist Hot Dog. Awesome. Great. Well, as you were speaking, because as a podcast host, um, I don't always know the people that come on the show really well, right? Which is the case with Adrian and I. Literally, we got on the call and I said, how do you say your name? <laughs> so like, we don't always know, but I trust that like connections lead us where they're meant to go. And just hearing you say that, I was like, ding, ding, ding. This is why we're on the show together. Yeah. So I really, really appreciate that perspective of recognizing the resistance and honoring it and validating it, but also saying like, this is just one piece of the puzzle, right? Like, where are we headed? What are we gonna do with this? Why are we resisting? What, what are we gonna create once we have that platform, that space? So, ah, just so good. Thank you so much for your, for your work in the yeah, world. Thanks for having me. Um, do you mind starting by, <clears throat> excuse me, just defining like giving your definitions of reproductive health. I mean, reproductive health, I feel like we all kind of have a grip on, right? It's like our, I would just add our physical and mental emotional health around our reproductive bodies. Um, but give your perspective on reproductive rights versus reproductive justice. Sure. And, and there may be people listening who've never even heard the term reproductive justice. Um, so yeah, I'd say start from the beginning. <laughs> okay. Well, I will give the disclaimer that I am not an expert on this uh, at all. And in fact, I learned a lot from a guest that I had on my show, whose name is uh, Mawia Patton. Mm. So she really digs into it deep on that episode of Feminist Hot Dog. And I will send you a, a bunch of resources too that you can link in your show notes. That, that Great organization called Sister Song, who was really a leader in the reproductive justice movement, Black Women for Wellness. There's a there's a, some great organizations out there that have awesome materials on this. But the sort of quick and dirty version of my understanding of reproductive rights versus justice. Um, and I want to also, one more caveat <laughs> is that I don't see these as things that you have to um, that they're that are versus each other right that are yeah in, in totally thank you for that um reproductive rights i think is a subset of reproductive justice and so right reproductive rights really focuses on you know what are the laws and the policies that dictate what women what control women do and don't have over their reproductive lives in terms of access to birth control in terms of access to abortion um and you know at what stage can you have an abortion you know, how easy is it for you to access an abortion? I'm really happy to hear you emphasize access so much in your, um, in your monologue. And, you know, so it's very much focused on policy agendas, legislation, um, and focused on particularly the components of our reproductive lives that engage um, the decision of not having children. So delaying childbirth because maybe you want to focus on your career or not having children at all because that's just really not kind of who you are or you know you're in a, a bad relationship or you maybe you're in a great relationship but you're just kind of financially unstable. You know there's of course as you know 
endless reasons why someone might choose to attempt to not get pregnant or end a pregnancy. And um, that's one piece of our reproductive lives. And so reproductive justice is really an, ex you know, um, expands on that idea and says, like, you know, the, the choice to not have a child is an important choice. And yes, we have to really fight to make sure that that choice is maintained. However, there have throughout our history been, you know, t hundreds of thousands of women who have actually been sterilized against their will is one, one example of, of a reproductive justice um, explanation for why we need a sort of a shift in our thinking, right? So not only do we want to be advocating for women who don't want to ha have children, we want to be advocating for women who do want to have children, but who mm. have had that choice removed from them. And traditionally, those women have been women living in poverty, immigrant women, women of color, women in the who have been incarcerated. So women who have a lot, those strings that you were talking about, um, in terms of, you know, feeling like other people have control over what's happening in your lives, they have a lot more strings generally, including, yeah, including the, um, you know, someone having enough power over them to take away their ability to have a child without any, without their knowledge or consent, right? And what's really disturbing about that is that this is not ancient history. I think we sort of think about this as something if you think of eugenics as something that sort of happened maybe back in the 20s and 30s and you know we sort of moved on from that and we've learned so much from the holocaust and we would never do that now but it's there were women still being sterilized in california prisons um all the way through the 1990s and it's still there is this active current case in canada right now of um being brought by indigenous women who you know are report being sterilized now mm. so this is not um this is not old history. This is something that we really need to sort of pay attention to. I think, um, and then, you know, expanding on that more, once you, you know, obviously everyone should have a right to have children if they want to, that choice goes both ways. And then once we have children, do we have the support um, to parent those children with dignity, essentially? Mm. Can you, you know, are we able to, does our, is our society supporting us in a way that will allow us to find affordable childcare for them? No. To um, provide healthy food for them? In many cases, no. Um, to provide an environment for them where they're not breathing dirty air or drinking dirty water? No. You know, there are mm. all, these, all of these components that really limit um, so many parents' ability to provide their their children with all those things that you sort of mentioned, like with a safe community, with a community where they're, you know, not only, you know, being nurtured and loved by their parents, which, you know, of course we hope they are, but then, you know, in addition to that, um, are, you know, are they, is their environment safe? Is, do they have access to a good doctor? Do they have access to a public school that's well-funded? All of these things that we yeah. want for our kids, those are reproductive justice issues because we're expanding um, are thinking just to think about like, how do we support parents? How do we support women in their choice to have kids? And the tension that that often brings up, and I think that this is another important thing, I'll say one more thing and then I'll, <laughs> then I'll stop, is that we have to really recognize that there are some 
really classist and racist beliefs that sort of sneak into our rhetoric, even from the left, um, around who should and shouldn't have children. Because I think what some folks would say, you know, in response to a description of reproductive justice is, well, if you can't afford to give your kids those things, then you shouldn't be able to have kids and, or you shouldn't have kids, you know, essentially. And I mean, I think if you really truly believe in, in reproductive choice and freedom, we have to interrogate that statement and really think about what that means. Because where are we gonna draw the line? Who gets to draw that line? And if we did draw that line, who would be on the gets, quote unquote, gets to have kids side and who would be on the other side? And uh, I'm here to tell you that that is a very, very dangerous path to go down if you're talking about true reproductive freedom. Yeah. Ooh, I took down so many notes just while you were talking. Um, <laughs> I hope that was okay. It was a lot. No, so good. Um, I don't know if I want to start with the first note I took or the last one. I'm going to start with the last one just because it was a language piece that I heard you say that was so important. And language is so powerful. And sometimes we're practicing with it and we use it the wrong way or we don't realize what we're saying. Um, but what you said that really struck me was interrogate that statement mm -hmm. versus the people who are stating it. And that subtle difference is everything, right? It's like, let's look at what's happening here versus who's making it happen, which is also important, right? Both are important. Um, but it opens the playing field for such a like less hostile conversation right? Like, I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking this concept, these words, this, this belief, right? Um, and attacking again is relative too. <laughs> right. And I, I certainly want to encourage um, speaking up and, and, and saying something if you hear that kind of language in an interpersonal exchange. But I think one thing that's really relevant when we're thinking about reproductive justice is that rather than focusing on like an individual woman and her choice to have kids or not have kids in her circumstances, if we can think about systems and we can think mm -hmm. about structures mm -hmm. and institutions and the messages that our institutions are sending us when they, for example, um, cut welfare or put really strict limitations on who are, can or can't access um, subsidized housing or, you know, et cetera. Um, those send messages as well, right? Yeah. That's, that's another way that we come to under, understand um, entitlement and belonging and, and who's, you know, quote unquote, fit to reproduce versus, uh, versus who's not, which is language that we still unfortunately hear in our, in our conversation. Yeah, yeah. And when we look at the system, like you said, it, again, for me, like it, equals the playing field a little bit in that it releases some of the judgment because a system we can imagine changing but sometimes when we get into like people changing it like the judgment levels raise right mm -hmm. and so i love that to like really keep looking back at the system um and what you just said led to one of my favorite things about reproductive justice which is this look at like what does it mean to raise a family and how does that influence our choice to abort 
Um, because so many women I talk to and work with are making choices even to abort that they feel confident in because they know it's not bringing another child into their life as it is, is not in that child's best interest or in their best interest, but they wish it were different, right? Mm -hmm. They wish they could, they wish they did have enough feed, uh, money to feed another family. Those, those words are not coming out to feed another child, right? They wish they did have a safe community to raise a family. Um, and so that piece of the discussion is so important to me. It's like, what does it mean to have children in today's world? And how do we shift that system <laughs> to give people more equal justice and equal rights to raise children. So uh, I just, that piece of the movement is, I don't even know if it's a movement, that piece of the conversation is so important to me. And I really love that you brought that to the table because I think it influences our choice to abort like more than anything. Yeah. And I, I do think that reproductive justice is a movement and just a little bit of history. It really did come out of the women's movement and a subset of activists within the women's movement feeling really strongly that by kind of, I, I think if you, if you and I think you studied um, women's history in college, if, if I'm not mistaken, right? So you kind of start out with these very um, broad goals for the women's movement. And then over time, it somehow does get sort of more narrowly focused on um, on abortion as being sort of the linchpin issue of the women's movement. And then a lot of uh, lower income women, women of color, um, women who had multiple intersecting marginalized identities within the movement saying, hey, this conversation is getting sort of further and further away from my reality because I'm fighting for yeah. the right parent. I've been working outside the home. My mother worked outside the home. This has been generational in my family, often for very little or no money. So like the working outside the home thing doesn't really apply to me. So there ends up sort of being this moment where you have a lot of kind of middle-class privileged white women pushing um, the women's movement in one direction and a large oh. number of women within the movement saying, hey, like our um, issues are not being heard here. And that's reproductive justice was really born out of that kind of cohort of, of thinking. So again, I, I don't wanna cast it as, um, as there definitely certainly was conflict within that process. I don't want to cast it as sort of an, um, you know, a white woman versus woman of color issue. But I do think that that it was a result of white women not listening yeah. to women of color and yeah. not acknowledging the intersectionality was very much uh, influencing the experiences of a large percentage of women in the movement. Yeah. And to own that is really hard for a lot of white women really hard and there are pieces of it that are hard for me to wrap my head around like i get it intellectually but i'm like it's hard to understand something you've never not had right privilege <laughs> yeah. um and i i was so you were correct i did study my bachelor's degree is in women's studies and it's interesting because i was the one in class who sort of held that card of wait a second, what about those of us who want to stay home and raise families, who want to be a primary parent and not a working woman in the world? What of us, like, what are the systems that let us do that? And that piece for me, even as a white woman who ended up, 
you know, in a relationship where we do survive, like we do pay the bills mostly on one income. Um, that's a conversation that's really important. Like, yeah, access to in, in the women's studies movement or, you know, the whole genre and in feminism, there's so much attention to like, equal rights and equal pay and, and all that is so important, but it's also like, I, I kind of want to stay home with my kids and I want to be able to afford to do that. Like without major sacrifice, like I want to be there for them and also be able to feed them at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I love that you brought that up. Um, I want to go back to a note I took when you first started talking about access. And I even, and this is where, like, when I started writing for this podcast, I was like, it's always struck me how I was a white woman with support in a community with access to abortion. I came from a hit, like a many years of work as a doula, like in the women's health birth world. And when I got pregnant, I was like, well, what do I do? Like, do I go to Planned Parenthood? Do I, like, I literally didn't know what to do. And I was like, holy crap, if I don't know what to do, how many other women don't know what to do? I mean, I had access to midwives and obstetricians and um, like nurses and so many people in the women's health field. And, it, and I was able to literally text my obstetrician and say like, what do I do? And she was like, come into the office. And I was like, I didn't think I could go to the office. I thought I had to go to a clinic and fight through the protesters. Like, and that just struck me so much that like, I literally didn't know what to do, even with privilege. And I thought, and as I navigate this work in the world around abortion, the thing that consistently breaks my heart the most is and breaks my heart is relative, but like squeezes at, tugs at me, are the stories of women who want abortion and can't get it. And I just like, I want to throw up just saying the words. It's so hard to watch women who know it's in their best interest. They know it's in this baby's best interest. They know it's in their other kid's best interest. And they literally can't get it. They can't afford it. They can't like get the transportation to it, whatever the things are. Um, that is the thing that just eats away at me when I, when I step into the world of, you know, talking about abortion and it's, it's so important to talk about and just to recognize. And sometimes, you know, we don't have that ability to make a change in our, you know, in our fingertips, like right in a moment, but to start by just seeing it and then notice places that we can help right places that we can make a difference places that we can use our voice or we can donate money or we can drive women to clinics or but having the awareness alone of there are women who want to make choices for their body that they can't make and we're not talking a few women we're talking a lot of women um i think let's not discredit how important it is just to know that and really let it sink into you. Like it's huge. It is. And I live in Alabama, which has the most restrictive abortion law oh. in the entire country. So I feel you on the heartbreak. I really do. Oh. It's hard. And I think to notice 
where we get defensive about that or where we get scared and want to run from it or pretend it doesn't exist. Um, and this is where I talk about in the piece that I wrote, like it starts with us figuring out our own strings. Like, why am I afraid to hear that fact? Why do I want to run away from it? Why do I want to not look at women who are pregnant and don't want to be pregnant? <laughs> um, why am I judging why they're pregnant again? Right. Um, and so, yeah, it starts with us being willing to be aware, right. And being willing to hear that and just let it sit, sink in. Um, it's big stuff. Oh. It is big stuff. And I, I want to offer to you one thing that's been really helpful to me when I, um, you mentioned, um, not wanting to look at things or having a reaction to something uh, and realizing, oh, I'm maybe being kind of judgmental. Somebody recently said something really that has stuck with me, which is often our first response to things ah, like yes. that is our social conditioning, right? And we're actually just regurgitating a message that is a really either unhelpful or oppressive message. But if we kind of sit with it and like you said, really look at it, often the response that will emerge is the response that really does align with our values and who we truly are. And so I think just giving ourselves the grace to, 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 and the space to have that time and let that more authentic message emerge and recognize like, oh, I'm really sort of reproducing some harmful stuff with my initial reaction. And like, what, what was that all about? And the more that we do that, then the, you know, the, the better, um, you know, the more practice we have and the, and the better we are at, at kind of noticing when those messages come our way. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. One of, I tend to be a person who learns something and then catches myself doing it and then gets super judgmental of me. Right. Like, so then I, I have a judgmental thought and then I beat myself up for it. And that's not getting us anywhere. So I like, as soon as he started talking, I was like, yes, because I remind myself all the time, like that was my first thought. And now I get to choose a second thought, right? right? Like my judgment maybe was my first thought. And now I get to choose, do I want to keep that judgment or do I want to choose a different thought? And that has allowed me to not beat myself up so much because sure. that's when we want to run away. We're like, I'm never going to figure this out or I, you know, I can't do it or I don't have the tools. Um, and if we're judging ourselves on top of judging other people, like we're just in a, in a spiral that's really hard to break. So thank you so much. That also is one of my favorite, favorite tools and favorite things to remember. Is there anything else? you want to say to the women listening who maybe have had abortions are thinking about abortion will remember this podcast someday when they face their own pregnancy that that they maybe don't want to keep yeah um anything you feel called to share before we wrap up here i think the only other thing i want to share is just i know that a lot of folks who seek abortions you know are not necessarily they might not identify as feminists they might not be particularly political um, this may or may not be an issue that they've really spent a lot of time focusing on previously in their lives. And just because someone has had an abortion doesn't mean that they're going to become politicized or become super invested in the debates around sort of how yeah. to approach um, feminism. But I do think that it often, you know, the women I know have reflected to me that 
it wasn't what they expected, but after they had their abortion, it, they did find that they were paying closer attention and they did find that it felt more personal to them and that they were re reacting differently when they were hearing um, problematic statements about, you know, terminating pregnancies or, you know, being quote unquote responsible or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that it did shift something in them that was political. Um, and so if that's happening for you, I just invite you to really learn about reproductive justice because um, those, that same um, shift that's happening based on your experience is happening for other people based on other, you know, other experiences related to um, the ability to parent and our understand mutual understanding of each other and our ability to work together will be so much stronger if we are um, being more intersectional in the way that we think about the political aspects of um, reproductive choice and reproductive health and reproductive justice. Yeah, and to remember for me, it's like, sometimes I have to remind myself of this, like, I get to set my own boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I can't do it all. But right. I can learn enough about reproductive justice that I can have a semi-intelligent conversation with Adrian, right? Like, or that I can work with my clients and understand what it means, right? And to remember that we get to set our own boundaries. Like, you don't have to go all into everything, but awareness of these being pieces of the puzzle and then choosing the thing you go all in on, like that's where we really make a difference. Um, so, oh my goodness, thank you so much for, for being a part of this conversation and being a, a resource and a podcast and a, you know, a place people can go back to over and over. Absolutely. Again. Yeah. I'm, I just will close by saying like, they're really, um, like you said, there's no one way to be a feminist. There's so, there's as many women who identify yeah. um, as feminists, that's, there's that many different ways to be a feminist. So yeah. um, I think really, I, I think that's something I really believe in and encourage other people to, um, to think about as well. Yeah. And listening to your podcast um, is a great way to dip your toes in the water a little bit more too. Yeah. I love podcasts because they're like, you can kind of like, it's like a sort of one-way experience <laughs> you can press play you can press stop you can listen in the car you, it's like such a great way to learn about things and decide where your own where you're at with it um so yeah please do go listen to adrian's podcast which you probably won't forget the name of so i'm gonna <laughs> like hopefully it's easy to remember well, thank you pretty, so much for having yeah. me yeah all right have a great day Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.